Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hey everybody, it's AG and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from Days Gone By, and note the date in the intro. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. Today, Bill Barr says there will be no special counsel for the 2020 election and he will not order a voting machine seized. Details of the new COVID relief package are out. A lawyer from Trump's Justice Department speaks out. Congress restores Medicaid benefits for Pacific Islanders. Trump is weighing immunity for Mohammed bin Salman in the assassination of dissident and the death of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Biden gets the COVID vaccine. Alexei Navalny tricks an agent into telling him how they poisoned him, and the Oversight Committee wants to reissue its investigation and subpoena for Mazars in the 117th Congress. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Holy majoli, Dana. We have so much news Seriously, today. Seriously, my God. It's like breaking, 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 breaking. Everything's broken. It's just broken. Mm. It's broken news. Yep. It's all breaking all over our faces. And... We have a big show today. I'm going to talk to uh, our friend, U.S. former U.S. attorney, Renato Mariotti. He's the host of the On Topic podcast. We're going to talk about the legal ramifications of the Oval Office meetings that have been going on. And we'll speak with Dr. Jesse Gold. And we're going to talk about mental health health issues during COVID. And I think there's some really important stuff in there. Definitely. Uh, and then you and I are going to do the good news. And now I have some quick headlines. I need to actually get out of the way before we get to the hot notes. That's how busy today is. First, uh, Biden got the vaccine live on television. Thank the baby Jesus. Whatever was, you believe in. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, and he was sweet and wonderful. And he, you know, thanked all of the healthcare workers and frontline workers and essential workers, everybody who works, uh, you know, in the hospitals up and down the chain. And then also uh, gave some credit to Operation Warp Speed for getting some of these vaccines out so soon and uh, just was very kind and very wonderful. Um, Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden also got the vaccine earlier today. 
And remember when we reported, it could have been yesterday, it could have been two years ago, uh, on the Judiciary Committee. <laughs> uh, and they wanted to reissue, they're going to reissue the McGahn subpoena in the next Congress. Because every time Congress expires, all their subpoenas expire and their investigations expire. Right. Um, and we wondered if that was a signal that maybe the House Democrats are going to want to continue some other investigations. I wondered that aloud with Kyle Cheney when he was on the show. Well... Uh, Oversight Committee has issued a letter today saying they want to continue their investigation into Trump and his organization and the catch and kill Stormy Daniels payoff to Cohen with the Mazars subpoena and reissue that for the 117th Congress. Um, and as we discussed, that means any subpoenas and criminal referrals would be made to Biden's Department of Justice. So they would not be ignored. That's going to be interesting. That's exciting. That just mm. gives me a little tingle. Mm-hmm. So all of the subpoenas that they issued to the Department of Justice over the last four years where the Department of Justice was like, no, we're not gonna. They're, they're gonna. So it's going to be interesting. And Dana, you know how yesterday we reported that Fox News had to walk back its bullshit story or its bullshit story about Smartmatic yes. voting machines? It's, yes, it's growing. Well, today, Newsmax followed suit. They put out a statement. Uh, so that just leaves one American news network and then, of course, the, the elite strike force. But it seems like that defamation suit has some teeth and they're running. I love mm-hmm. it. I love to see it. They need to be held accountable. This uh, mm. the disinformation that comes out of that, quote unquote, network. Ugh, mm. Mm, makes me angry. Makes me angry. And it's really uh, annoying. It also has probably caused a lot of deaths. Um, Alexei Navalny, the opposition uh, party to Putin, right, in this last election, yes. the guy who was poisoned. He actually posed as a KGB guy or a Kremlin guy and called up some of these, uh, you know, folks, these bad guys who were like tailing him and trying to poison him and got them to tell him how they were poisoning him. He, he pretended to be like, I needed an update on, you know, the Navalny situation and how the, all that went down. And they revealed to him that, yeah, they put Novichok in his underwear. Oh, my God. And they were surprised he didn't die and the only thing that saved his life was the fact that that plane that he was on got diverted to germany and he was able to be given uh those immediate shots that 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 saved his life um otherwise he would have surely died but they they poisoned they put novichok in his underpants that's how they did it how does that even happen I have so many questions. I mean, I'm glad. What an amazing story, too, that he did this. But I do have many questions about how that got into his underpants. They put it there and they and they were like, like, where in the underpants? And it's like the groin area. We put it on the seams around the flap is apparently. How oh, my God. Went down. Seems a little pointed, doesn't it? Why shouldn't wear underwear, people? Let it breathe. Just let it breathe. That can poison your dick. All right. <laughs> Uh, we do have those are some quick headlines of breaking news that I couldn't get into the script but I had to get into this episode last minute now let's let's do the other thing let's hit the hot notes hot notes All right, lead story. Attorney General William P. Barr said on Monday, P. Barr, that he (laughs) saw no reason to appoint special counsels to oversee the Justice Department's ongoing criminal investigation into Hunter Biden or to investigate President Trump's baseless claims of widespread voter fraud. Again, undercutting Donald's the Donald's efforts to bend the department to his political will and overturn the results of the election. So this was an interesting news conference. In this news conference, he was there to announce charges in an unrelated terrorism case case, but Mr. Barr said he did not, quote, see any reason to appoint a special counsel to oversee the ongoing investigation into the younger Mr. Biden. I have no plan to do so before I leave, which means maybe somebody like Jeffrey Rosen, who's taking over, might have a plan to do so after Barr leaves, but they didn't go into that. Mr. Barr said, to the extent that there is an investigation, I think that it's being handled responsibly and professionally. (laughs) He also said that he would name a special counsel to oversee an inquiry into election fraud if he felt one were warranted, quote, but I haven't, and I'm not going to. (laughs) He added that he saw no basis for the federal government to seize voting machines, which is another executive order Trump was trying to get passed in that Friday night Oval Office meeting. So Barr's like, no, no, nope, nope, and no, and no, and bye, you know, kind of like that, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out. That's what he does. It's what he does. He he has no loyalty to Donald, you kidding me? I'm sure he got a lot out of everything he covered up. Uh, One thing that did happen 
We've got a bill coming, at least we think we do, a relief bill. Now, this is uh, deep with information. Congress plans to pass on Monday a bipartisan $900 billion dollar COVID relief uh, bill. This is after months and months and months of negotiations over its final details. Uh, leaders of both parties are lauding the uh, agreement, claiming victory for provisions they were able to get in and, of course, keep out. The measure includes up to, I'm so fucking irritated at this number, AG. It's so hard for me. Okay. The measure includes up to, up to, up to $600 relief check for the many Americans, as well as an assortment of aid for small businesses and money to purchase and distribute vaccines. Now, the relief check. This is a $600 direct payment check for every adult and child earning up to $75,000. My children are way over that. So. Right. I know, you and me both. Um, they're invisible kids. Individuals earning between seventy-five and ninety-nine thousand would get smaller checks, and the benefit cuts out entirely for individuals earning over ninety-nine thousand dollars. Now, listen, I want to see how they do this because my income for twenty twenty is very different than my income for twenty nineteen. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they're doing enough 2019 taxes. They're basing this on 2019 taxes. Right. So that, that doesn't set well for a lot of us that, you know, we did okay in 2019 and then our entire income was decimated because of the pandemic. Well, hey, don't worry. They're super fucking dumb. And I wasn't <laughs> supposed to get any money in the last stimulus. And I got both my husband and I, who is now my ex, I'm very proud of that, got the full amount well, they also sent like billions of dollars to dead people so there's that yeah. they're very very smart i also i ended up donating it but like you could get the full thing so yeah all right other things that go in this unemployment benefits lawmakers agreed to extend enhanced unemployment benefits for jobless workers who will receive up to 300 per week through mid-march also not what it used to be self-employed people and gig workers will also receive extended assistance that might be something i need to look into Rental assistance. The measure is going to um, include $25 billion to help families pay their rent, and it extends the eviction moratorium now in effect until January 31st. SNAP assistance. Democrats say the measures includes an additional $13 billion for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Goes on to small business help. PPP loans. The agreement includes some $284 billion for Paycheck Protection Program loans. Maybe they'll go to someone other than these fucking megachurches. Mm. Mm. Democrats say they expanded eligibility for the loans to include nonprofits and local newspapers, along with TV and radio stations. Also, and I love this one, $15 billion will be reserved for live venues, independent movie theaters, and cultural institutions, which have been struggling due to the pandemic forced force closures that will help a lot of people like me who once we can meet in small uh groups to perform those venues will still be hopefully open mm. um child care centers according to the republican summary of the plan the measure includes 10 billion dollars for child care centers to help provide um for them to safely reopen vaccines this is obviously very important to us the agreement includes 68 billion to purchase and distribute covid-19 vaccines and help states conduct testing according to the republican summary 20 billion of that funding will make the vaccine available at no cost for anybody needing it Yes, keeps going on. Broadband access. The measure contains $7 billion to increase access to broadband internet, including a new emergency broadband benefit that Democrats say will help millions of students and families and unemployed workers afford the broadband they need during the pandemic. A lot of people haven't been able to stay in touch, if you will, because... Uh, mm, of, or go to school. Yeah, exactly. Of losses there, so... Transportation aid. Lawmakers agreed to provide $45 billion in transportation. Uh, that's $16 billion for airlines to pay the salaries of workers and contractors because they've had to furlough a shit ton of people. So hopefully they'll be able to keep more on. It's $14 billion for mass transit agencies, $10 billion for highways, $1 billion for Amtrak. Education. This is very important. The measure contains $82 billion in funding for schools and universities to assist with reopening, including, according to Republican summary, $2.75 billion for private K-12 education. Agriculture, there's so many things in here. There's some $13 billion in the measure for farmers and agriculture, including money under the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program for growers and livestock, dairy and poultry producers. That's a very big deal. Medical bills, the measure also includes a provision ending surprise medical billing. Mm. Republicans say patients would be required to receive a true and honest cost estimate three days before 
any scheduled procedure that billing disputes uh, would be subject to arbitration. And that's great because yeah. uh, we had Thank Laura you. Packard on uh, who was talking about this and, and Richie Neal was holding it up in the House Ways and Means Committee because he was being lobbied. Uh, so this is such, such very good news that this made it in there. Wonderful. Uh, tax deductible meals. Lawmakers also including a provision uh, sought by President Trump making the cost of meals a deductible business expense. This is called the three martini lunch. This is basically allows rich business people to yep. write off their uh, you used to only be able to write off 50% of your uh, meals. Now you can write off 100% and Trump wanted yeah. this in there. Hmm. I wonder why. Um, thank you for that overview. The $600 is stupid and everyone needs to stop blaming Democrats. This is they that's not what they wanted. So uh, we need to lay the blame where it belongs, which is on Mitch McConnell's shoulders. And that's why we need to vote in Georgia. Woo! So we can get the Senate back so we can pass actual shit that matters. Next up, a former Trump Department of Justice lawyer named Erica Newland published an opinion in The Times. She says, I was an attorney at the Justice Department when Donald Trump was elected president. I worked in the Office of Legal Counsel. This is where presidents turn for permission slips to say their executive orders and other contemplated actions are lawful. I joined the department during the Obama administration as a career attorney whose work was supposed to be independent of politics. I've never harbored delusions about a Trump presidency. Trump readily volunteered. His agenda was to disassemble our democracy, but I made a choice to stay on home to some of the Department of Justice, home to some of the country's finest lawyers for as long as I could bear it. I believe that I could better serve our country by pushing back from within than keeping my hand uh, than by keeping my hands clean but i have come to reconsider that decision my job was to tailor the administration's executive actions to make them lawful in narrowing them i could also make them less destructive jesus i remained committed to trying to uphold my oath even as the president refused to uphold his but there was a trade-off we attorneys diminished the immediate harmful impacts of president trump's executive orders but we also made them more palatable for the courts mm. After the Supreme Court's June 2018 decision upholding the third Muslim ban, I reviewed my own portfolio, which included matters targeting non-citizens, dismantling the civil service, and camouflaging the president's corruption, overcome with fear that I was doing more harm than good. By Thanksgiving of that year, I left my job. Still, I felt I was abandoning the ship. I continue to believe that a critical mass of responsible attorneys staying in government might provide that last line of defense against the administration's worst instincts. Even after I left, I advised others they could do good by staying. News reports about meaningful pushback by Justice Department attorneys seemed to confirm this thinking. I was wrong. Watching the Trump campaign's attacks on the election results, I now see what might have happened if, rather than nip and tuck the Trump agenda, responsible Justice Department attorneys had collectively, ethically, lawfully refused to participate in President Trump's systematic attacks on our democracy from the beginning. The attacks would have failed. And we owe our best efforts to restore our democracy and to share what we've learned to help mobilize and enact reforms to remind future government lawyers that when asked to undermine our democracy, the right course is to refuse and hold your peers to the same standard to lead by example, and to do everything in our power to ensure this never happens again. If we don't, it will. I feel like Erica Newland just wrote in a quarantine confession to the Daily Beans. Like, I feel like that was personally yeah. for us. Yeah. <sighs> I know that, I mean, I think that this was difficult for a lot of people that have, you know, one of my best friends who's worked in the fish and wildlife, you know, she protects Mexican gray wolves she this is her this is the administration that's her boss and she had to you know go to dc a few times and it's one of those things where you're like i know i'm doing good in the world but i have to work for this son of a bitch or you know what damage am i doing you know it's the it's the people that know better you know that that experiment you know if you know you're gonna shock the person on the other end do you still push the button yeah i stayed in as long as i could i was gonna stay in the whole time just try to thwart off the attacks on on the department of veterans affairs and his attempts to try to privatize it um but they they decide they made the decision for me that i'd no longer be working there so yeah i, I, I you know i probably will weigh in on this more with opinion when I can think about it harder, there's a lot of yeah. different sides. Part of me is like, fuck you. And the other part of me is like, I know what you mean. So right. I don't really know where I come down on it. There'll be more with that. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be writing these uh, Dear Abby letters from <sighs> to this administration. Uh, this is a good news story, though, um, and that we're going to do now instead of wait till the end. But the wait may be over for tens of thousands of Marshall Islanders after nearly 25 years of seeking to correct an oversight that denied them federal health benefits. Congressional negotiators on Sunday agreed to allow Marshallese living in the United States to sign up for Medicaid, revising a drafting mistake 
drafting mistake, AG, that a 1996 welfare reform bill that barred the Islanders from the program, according to three people with knowledge of the deal. Democratic lawmakers like Senator Mazzie Hirono uh, and her Hawaii colleagues had spent about two decades trying to restore the Islanders' coverage, saying that the United States broke its promise to the Marshallese after using their homeland to test dozens of nuclear bombs. Uh, but legislative proposals repeatedly died without Republican support. This spring, the House passed a bill to restore the Islanders' Medicaid for the first time in more than 20 attempts. Although, of course, now it is stalled in the Senate. Why? I think we can all guess why. Yeah, well. <sighs> well, I love that. I just, what I think the thing that really gets to me is that it was an administrative error. That, right? In 1996! And then once it was gone, like, no Republicans wanted it to come back. You know? <laughs> Makes me wonder if it was really a mistake. Anyway. Yeah, it's no. Nah, I mean, come on. Remember during the election where that wire got accidentally cut in Virginia or wherever it was? <laughs> we don't know how it happened. Just we giant wire got cut cleanly, so perfectly, really nicely with bolt cutters. Oh. Yeah. yeah, there's a big omission that these people weren't going to get health insurance. Don't know what happened. Must have been a typo. Let's move on for 20 years. Oh, my fucking God. All right. Well, I'm glad they got that in there. Um, now, with the disparate communications between Trump and the Justice Department, uh, there are still many open questions about the legality of what Trump is doing and Flynn and Powell. And we'll be right back with Renato Mariotti to discuss those issues. And then later on, I'll be speaking with Dr. Jesse Gold about mental health concerns during COVID and lockdown. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former U.S. Attorney Renato Mariotti. Hey, Renato, how are you? I'm good. I haven't spoken to you in a while. I'm Congratulations, first of all. Uh, so our listeners know you just got engaged. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wonderful news. Been a little busy lately. So if you haven't seen me as much on Twitter, that's why I've been mm. dead. Just taking care of my personal life here. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and so today I wanted to talk to you about your tweet. You wrote this yesterday. This is regarding that, uh, unhinged Oval Office meeting between Trump, Flynn, Sidney Powell, among others. And apparently Sidney Powell has been back to the White House, uh, since this meeting took place. Uh, and you tweeted, you wrote, the mere fact that the president of the United States is considering a military coup is alarming. That would mean the end of America as we know it. Let's not mince words here. Using martial law, quote unquote, to overturn the election is a coup. It's beyond unconstitutional. It's evil. Now, we've sort of quelled everyone's fears about this actually happening, right? Because right. Sec Secretary of the Army is like, we're not involved. I know General Milley <laughs> has said this. The Joint Chiefs have been like, sit down. We're not coming to stop or do whatever for your election. They've, they've already made their position clear, the U United States military, regardless of who he yanked out of the Pentagon and, and installed, <laughs> right? And uh, and so we aren't actually worried about this happening. But our, my concern, I think, and I think everyone else's concern is the legality that the meeting took place in the first place. So I, I what here's what I would say. I mean, look, it's, it should be alarming to everyone that the president of the United States is meeting with people who want him to use the military to overthrow the election and publicly are calling for that. Right. To essentially use the military to, to you know, seize control. And he's entertaining the idea. And I, I suspect his defense would have to be uh, to this. I mean, is it, is it, is it, is that legal? No. Okay. Just so make it crystal clear. No, that's not legal. No, that's not constitutional either. Um, his, I think his best argument would be as a starting point, I never actually did it and we never agreed to do it. I was just hearing what people had to say and considering my options. Now it would be a true story. I would be my first defense if I was uh, if I was uh, his lawyer, as I'd say, look, there's no conspiracy because no one agreed to do this. They were just discussing it. Uh, you can it's a free country. You can say whatever you want, but he didn't actually take any substantial steps towards doing this. So there's no attempt. But mm. it was standard for attempt, and there's no agreement. So there's no conspiracy. Now let's just pretend. Uh, hypothetically, because I can imagine this might be your next question, what if G uh, General Flynn and Trump agreed to do this, to set this plan in motion, and he sent General Flynn to do things, and Trump 
uh, started making phone calls to the military and directives and ordered them to do it, and they refused. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know one. I think one certainly would have an argument that this would be. You know, I know a lot of people on Twitter have been throwing out this statute seditious conspiracy of. You know, is it uh, two or more people uh, conspiring to overthrow or put destroy by force the government of the United States? I mean, you can make that argument. I think uh, I think, you know, I'm sure his defense attorneys would have some counter argument as to, well, you're not trying to overthrow the government. You're trying to, you know, he really thought he was trying to uh, uphold the election results or so forth. But there's certainly it, it would certainly violate the law it, there. I think you would have a, a good argument to make that it would be. A violate a criminal statute. It would certainly be an abuse of power. Um, and uh, look, I think it's we're just moving to the point where we're kind of beyond um, talking about. I mean, if we're sitting here and debating like how this would play out in a criminal trial, I mean, we're literally talking about the president trying to overthrow our democracy. This is like Hollywood villain stuff, right? I mean, this is like the stuff that you watch. Uh, on TV, you think is so crazy um, that no one would actually do this. It's it's less crazy than what we see sometimes at Netflix, um, or it's more crazy, I should say. So I, I, you know, I to me, this is the sort of thing that it's uh, it's it says something about our country that this man is actually inside the Oval Office mm. um, doing this, and then no one cares. No one, a lot of people don't care. I should say. And uh, Rudy was in the room, so I, I figure they might try to throw out attorney-client privilege, but that's a simple end run around that with, you know, the crime-fraud exception. And then, of course, there's probably an executive privilege thing, but I think people have to work for the government, and Flynn doesn't. Uh, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different things to, to consider here. But Barr came out today and said in a press conference, I am not seizing voting machines. There will not be a military coup. I'm not appointing a special counsel to look into 2020 election problems. I'm not appointing a special counsel to look into Hunter Biden. Uh, he, uh, what, what's going on? Because what, what I feel like is, Trump went to Barr, Barr said no. Then Trump went to Pat Cipollone and Rudy Giuliani and brought in Flynn and Sidney Powell. And, and even Rudy Giuliani was like, nah. And Cipollone and Mark Meadows were like, nah. And so then Trump had his own private meetings with Flynn and Sidney Powell because those are the people who are telling him the answers he wants to hear. Uh, but what is what, uh, what do you make of this Barr thing? Is he just trying to clean up his act before he gets out? You know, I think uh, here's how I would understand Barr. Barr is a guy who would take Trump's uh, desires and rants, and he would try to figure out how legally he could get from point A to point B in a way that would achieve what Trump wanted. I will say in some ways he's, he was acting as somebody who was a hired lawyer for a client. In other words, lawyers often get also have clients who want bizarre, silly things, and they figure they try to figure out, okay, you're paying me $800 an hour, $1,000 an hour, let me figure out how I can get you somewhere close to where you want to be using the law. Well, that's what I think Barr would try to do sometimes. He would sometimes lie, he'd sometimes mislead, but he was never trying to do something truly insane, okay, totally, totally outside of uh, the four corners of anything anyone could ever imagine. And now you have Trump literally trying to do just that i mean like overturn the election i mean he's just off the rails and of course Barr's off team trump at this point Barr's on his way out he's uh joining his family on the 23rd or or whatever that was uh, you know that that long letter was so i think i think you know Barr's not has wants to have no responsibility for whatever trump does after he leaves he's w- washing his hands like pontius pilot uh of that and I think he he basically just is like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is too crazy for, for me. And I, I will say this is – one thing that I think our, your listeners need to think about, A.G., is that in some ways we've been, we've been fortunate to have a president who is so incompetent at achieving his ends that he's not been able to do the many, some, many of the evil things that he's wanted to do. And I think – you know, Barr is somebody who's actually very clever and devious at getting things done. And Trump is basically so off the rails that he's alienated Barr and he's left with other incompetent people around him for the most part. 
Yeah, and I mean, the news I'm waiting for, the news I'm waiting for is that because we, what Barr went through was a list of shit that Trump obviously, obviously asked him for and he said no. And that's where they had these contentious, yelly meetings um, that, you know, people could see through the Oval Office window. Ooh, they're mad at each other. Uh, I, at some point, imagine Trump asked Barr for an Office of Legal Counsel memo that he could pardon himself. And I'm waiting for that news to drop because Barr wasn't asked that today. Do you, just, just, can you, will you let Trump pardon himself? And he, he wasn't asked that today. But I guarantee you Trump has spoken to Barr about pardoning himself because he's his lawyer, right? He's his guy. He's his uh, half Roy Cohn, I guess. Uh, so I'm waiting for that news to drop. And, and we'll see. I personally think that if he can't get Pence to pardon him or he would feel better about pardoning himself and just to see, hope that sticks and that nobody challenges it. Um, cause they may not, you know, they might be like, well, we're not going to touch that. It's pardoned. But, um, you know, w- w- we'll see how that goes. But I'm just interested also to see when Barr is gone, when he goes to spend more time with his family, what Trump's going to try to uh, get away with. He could just very well issue an executive order for the Department of Homeland Security to seize these voting machines. Now, I know I'm pretty sure immediately, and correct me if I'm wrong, a federal judge will bench slap an injunction on that immediately, even if just for the reason that the director of the Department of Homeland Security is not lawfully there. He's not even authorized to be the director of that agency. Uh, so, I mean, what what would that look like? Because we know he doesn't follow the law. So if he actually tried to do it, do you, do you imagine there would be pretty quick federal court action? Yeah, exactly right. So one thing everyone should understand is that elections are administered at the state and local level in this country. We don't have a federal, uh, you know, there is a federal election commission, but it really is, deals with things like fund, fundraising limits and stuff like that. It doesn't actually administer elections. So if, if the Department of Homeland Security came to my state or your state and said, okay, we want to seize the voting machines, our states would say, well, hey, this, uh, this is our property. By what authority are you taking our property? Uh, sort of like coming in and seizing stuff out of city hall or seizing seizing something out of the governor's office. You can't just come and do that. You know, you don't have. It's not like this is a. You have a warrant, a seizure warrant from a judge or some other lawful reason to commandeer our property. So I would expect a very quick uh, action um, because you know, and I would imagine a judge um, would issue an injunction. And for, ironically, I think one of the first places that would be going to court would be Georgia because they have an election coming up. I don't really think they want all their election machines to be seized by the federal government. They need to have an election soon themselves. The, the amount of, of problems that might cause for them internally could, could potentially actually harm the state in conducting its own election going forward. Yeah, and uh, we may we may end up seeing something crazy like that after Christmas. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, but that that Oval Office meeting really concerned me. And again, not because I'm worried that they'll be successful at a coup, but that they're planning one in the Oval Office. It's just astounding. It's astounding indeed. Hopefully we don't have a a Christmas present from Trump uh, coming up. I hope you're wrong about that. But uh, he always manages to uh, fall below our, our expectations. That's for sure. Well, we'll at least be getting some pardons pretty soon, uh, <laughs> I imagine. And uh, I think, mark my words, I think the term post-pardon crime is going to become very popular in 2021. We'll see how that goes. Uh, everybody, Renato Mariotti, former U.S. attorney, host of the On Topic podcast. You really need to check that out if you get a chance. Thanks so much, Renato. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks again. Everybody stick around. We'll be back with Dr. Jesse Gold to discuss mental health issues while we're all... Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me now is Assistant Professor and the Director of Wellness Engagement and Outreach at the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis, Dr. Jesse Gold. Dr. Gold, welcome to Daily Beans. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really I'm really excited to talk to you today because there there's so many things going on um, with regards to mental health and how it's our, our mental health is impacted by COVID. And, and I want to talk to you first about what you're seeing with not just the lockdown and and mental health issues, but the grief, just the the overwhelming sense of grief that so many people are experiencing. Yeah, thank you for even asking. It's really interesting. Like there've been all these articles recently that are like the hidden pandemic, the mental health concern and the new wave. And I've been dealing with this, I mean, before COVID obviously, but 
for sure since COVID started. I mean, when you tell people that they have to stay in their house and even if they have pre-existing mental health conditions, that really can hype up your anxiety because it's a lot of uncertainty. Anytime you leave like change and any type of change in a schedule, but you can't give anybody answers, that's going to make uncertainty kind of really, really, really high. And if you already have anxiety, that's going to go up. If you're going to tell them they're going to go in their house without sort of like social supports, I think that makes people afraid that they're going to get depressed. And the longer that's gone on, people, I think, were really able to do that for a month. Um, And we didn't see a lot of people with depression right away. And this is nine months. And now we are. And I think that makes a lot of sense because the longer you're at home or the longer your routines changed or the longer you're unable to socialize in the way you were able to, the longer you were unable to cope in the same ways, it becomes harder and harder to pretend you don't feel like that you feel good. You know, the the sadness comes out. You can't just smile it away or you can't just go running <laughs> for a walk outside and it goes away, you know. And the grief aspect, I think, is something we definitely are not talking enough about out loud. Um, You know, we barely talk about the numbers of people who have died. There are 300,000 people who have died. And there are articles that suggest every person who dies has like nine people connected to them who are bereaved. That's a lot of people. I can't do the math off the top of my head, you know, but there's like a lot of zeros there. Um, 2.7 million. Right? That's a lot. Um, It doesn't mean all of those people are going to need to see me, but it means all of those people are experiencing an emotional reaction that we're not talking about, right? And maybe they're talking about it in their smaller social circles, But if you don't feel like the general ethos is like validating your lived experience, that's hard. You're sitting with trauma and grief that you're hiding from the world because nobody wants to talk about it or you think it's not okay to talk about it when it should be. And I think that's a challenge for people when we should really be supporting people through this. Yeah. And, you know, you go ahead and and think about the stigma that already exists uh, with mental health issues. Um, it, it's gotten a lot better, I've noticed, over the last couple of decades, where to have a therapist is is, is a fine thing. Um, whereas it, it used to be you didn't tell anyone uh, that kind of uh, personal information. Um, but something I've noticed, because I, I've had uh, PTSD and, and anxiety um, for decades and so I went into the the lockdown with this, but it was something I've noticed too. And I think that uh, a lot of uh, folks that I've spoken to are experiencing this as well that had pre-existing mental health uh, conditions is that it's now that you're at home and it's quiet, it's hard to run away from, or I should say maybe healthily cope with by working outside of your house, these mental health conditions. Now you have, you're here with your thoughts and you're alone and you have to confront them and, and, and move through them. And I've, I've seen on one hand, it's actually, uh, been very good for me to, to live through those emotions instead of ignoring them, boxing them up and compartmentalizing them. But I can I can also understand how it would be very difficult for someone who perhaps hasn't taken a CBT or CPT or some therapy and knows how to cope with those feelings when they drop in and say hi. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of my patients say that they felt more prepared because they did have coping skills and coping strategies than some, than some people because, you know, when you're stuck in your house, you're right. Like they took away all of the normal coping skills for people, which is so socializing or going for a walk or going to a restaurant or going to the movies, like even these things that like you convince yourself you could do alone. Like I think people do go to the movies alone and people do go to restaurants alone and they're okay with that, you know, or go sit in a library or go get coffee. But when those are all closed and you're stuck in your house, if you haven't gone to therapy before, you don't have other skills that you know you can turn to by yourself and you can rely on in yourself to cope, 
it's really hard. And you're right. Like people who had been in therapy before did tell me that that was a lot easier of a transition. But after nine months, they run out of the ability to say like, you know, journaling is not working <laughs> anymore. Like I, I'm really journaled out, Dr. Gold. And like, I need something else. And like, what else can I do? And I was trying so hard and I was doing so well, but this is long. So I think they were doing really well and they do have skills and there are a lot of skills to choose from because they're, they're pretty well trained and that was definitely helpful. But I think it's just the longer it's gone on, it's gotten a lot harder. Yeah, that's a really good point because a lot of those skills are just kind of minute to minute or, or quick repair or uh, band-aid on move along kind of skills right and and they weren't designed for nine months at home you're you're right and uh, maybe that helps us or makes us rethink um, that those kind of uh, coping mechanisms or skills to have to deal with that anxiety um, something else that I'm extremely concerned about because I, you know, I worked in the healthcare profession for over a decade. I've worked in multiple hospitals, uh, and I'm, I have still have many friends who are healthcare workers and healthcare providers and nurses and LVNs and, or any, just anybody who works in, in, in the hospital or essential care workers. And burnout was already a thing for nurses. There's been a million studies when I went and got my PhD. Everybody was doing their dissertation on burnout. I can't imagine what it's like now. And I and I see, you know, nightly on Matto, she'll have healthcare, uh, our heroes, our healthcare heroes coming on and saying that they're just having a really hard time uh, with this. What, what? And I know you've written some pieces on this. What are you finding? Yeah, um, you know, a good portion of my clinic is also healthcare workers. I see sort of the gamut of people who work in healthcare. So people who clean the hospital, like, say hi to people in the hospital to the high up administration in the hospital. So I see everybody and everybody's struggling. There's not one level of a person in the hospital system or, you know, like little village of the hospital that I like to call it that is not struggling. Every aspect is different, but they're having a hard time. And you're right, we did not start with a great baseline. You know, you mentioned nurses having high rates of burnout. So do doctors, doctors, the studies, it's about 50%. And nurses is about 30. And I think mid 30s, and it should probably be higher <laughs> in those studies. Um, and, you know, doctors are among the highest rates of suicide of any profession before the pandemic. And you throw on, you know, higher rates of death in a, in a on the wards than they've ever seen before um, without any sort of solutions. So they're seeing a lot of death and they don't know how to do anything to help people. Um, you throw on what, rationing care or even the concept of possibly rationing care. You throw on the idea that they could get sick themselves or bring that home to their family and people are and have died who are healthcare workers. Right, which leads to short staffing, which piles onto it as well. Right. And even if you just get sick as a healthcare worker, you have to be out for whatever amount of quarantine and that leads to short staffing, right? And I think, you know, we're so interdependent in our fields on each other and each other being well and each other functioning in all of our little cogs of the system, right? And it's it's just a recipe for burnout in so many ways. And then, you know, we nurses and doctors are sort of getting pulled from other fields to cover and nobody wants to do that, right? Like, nurses want to do the field that they're working in. Doctors want to do the field that they're working and trained in. You know, we don't want to all of the sudden be working on a COVID unit. <laughs> like, it's just not, we're, we're, we're trained. Like, I'm a psychiatrist. You don't want me in your ICU. I mean, I trained in medicine and I'm probably better off working in an ICU than like somebody you picked off the street. But I love psychiatry for more than just the fact that I'm a psychiatrist, it meets my personality. It fits the things that keep me going. Being in the ER is stressful for me and hard for me, right? Emotionally. So if you pull someone like me who might have found being in the ER or surgery or even seeing that much death hard in training to being back in that environment, let alone like being back in that environment without being there in a long time, that too is like, 
a whole nother stressor, right? And then you add on the sort of political ethos of being a healthcare provider right now and, um, you know, being very pro-science in a place that is not necessarily pro-science and um, sort of representing something that healthcare workers, I think, never thought that they would represent and really just trying to do the best job they can to help people and save people and keep doing their jobs. But it really gets tiring and hopeless to do your job when there's just an endless influx of people with no resources and no one listening to you. So, you know, it's it, it's not easy. And plus they're humans. <laughs> like we, you know, we don't like to admit we're humans, but we sure have emotions like them. And we also have lives like them, you know, like the same things that everyone else is struggling with, with COVID, you know, the adjustments, the schooling from home of their kids, the husbands and partners that are having difficulties in their jobs, the Every other struggle also happens for healthcare workers. So it's, you know, if you think about that too, it's not like they're just struggling there. There's all this other stuff too. So it's hard. Yeah, I can't, I, I, I just can't imagine, um, you know, I, I, I was an administrator in a hospital. So, you know, sort of like you, I won't say I am like you because I was just a administrative doctor and not a not a, a medical doctor, but I didn't have any medical training. But I, you know, I couldn't imagine that I didn't go into that field because that's not what meets my needs. So I yeah, I can't even imagine. Uh, and then you you know, you, you brought up a great point. They're they're struggling with everything we're already struggling with. And on top of that, um but doing this job. Um finally before I let you go uh, I, do you have any advice for everyone as we head into the holiday? We're already, a, a lot of holidays have already come and gone, but, you know, we're in the holiday season and that can just add an extra little special touch of loneliness and sadness uh, for those who are, you know, uh, and it's not so much, I, I always liked to stay home. It, 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 it's not that, it's that you can't, you can't go out. Uh, how, how do we sort of, do you have any advice for how we could kind of cope with that with through the holidays? Totally. I mean, it's definitely hard when people tell you you can't do something because all of a sudden you miss it. You know, it's like, it just really creates a different way of viewing things. But, you know, there's a couple of things. One, feel whatever you want to feel about it. We're very mean to ourselves about the gamut of emotions. So if we're happy when we think we're supposed to be sad because people are grieving and it's not okay for us to have good feelings about holidays, that's not true because you're allowed to feel happy and still grieve for people. You're not disrespecting their grief for having a good holiday. So you can feel whatever you want to feel. This whole thing is hard and you should have the gamut of feelings about it. That's just the way it is. So first, I would say that. Second, I would say if you feel like you're shoving like old traditions onto like a new situation and it's just not going to fit and it's making you super stressed out and super angry, throw it all away and do something completely different. Just call 2020 a bogey and do something like completely new. Don't like make new traditions like, you know, order in different kinds of food and watch different kinds of movies and just do not try to fit old traditions onto this and like have a completely different year and that'll make it a lot easier and you will not feel as stressed out and three i would say just like overall this is a hard holiday season we need to just be kind to each other and ourselves i think we are not good at that you know like we we just are we judge ourselves for not cooking correctly we judge ourselves for the wrong present we judge ourselves for the tree being wrong for like the new year's like you know couple of people we have over with masks on not being a perfectly cooked like whatever you know we just judge ourselves for everything there is to be judged for and I just think it's a year that judgment shouldn't exist. And 
we should, you know, really spend the time reflecting on what we like learned in 2020, both good and bad. I think that we can't pretend 2020 didn't happen. And we need to say like, what was 2020 for us? What was the good parts of it? What was the bad parts of it? And how are we going to grow from that? And I think we'll all get to a better place because of it. I like it. Show kindness to others. Show yourself some grace. And give yourself a mulligan for the holidays. I, I think that that is uh, probably the best advice we can take. And I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today about it, because uh, I know there's a lot of people struggling. Can you tell people where to find you or where they can find some resources before I let you go? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Jesse Gold. Jesse spelled J-E-S-S-I. All resources. I mean, I like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. That's a great place. NAMI is a great place. Both of those are really great resources. They're like NAMI and AFSP.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Dr. Jesse Gold. Absolutely. Everybody stick around. All right, everybody. Who likes good news? good news and this this is one of the things that helps my mental health thank you to dr jesse gold for giving us tips on how to cope especially as the holidays coming up we're all on lockdown there's so many people dying but now it's like i get to talk about the good news from our listeners with dana and this literally does a lot for me and my mental health oh my god ag i i totally agree these uh, my mental health right now i think we were talking about this earlier like it is I, I normally do pretty well adjusting. My fuse is getting shorter and shorter. So these submissions really do make me feel better. Um, even if I'm sobbing like I was with yesterday's uh, good news and uh, confessions, they still lift my spirits. Yeah. And even if they're corrections, which is what we have coming up first here from David, <laughs> which is AG. Yeah, but uh, he, he makes a compliment sandwich, which I love. He says, you do great analysis of legal theory and possible case against the president and his cronies, and your understanding of the nuances is really on the point. In the episode, The Grift That Keeps on Grifting, you said that according to members of JAG uh, that you knew, a separated service person could not be brought before a court martial. That's not entirely correct. An officer who retires with pension is considered still a part of the service for the duration of his or her pension, and therefore subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, in addition to civilian law. Professor Stephen Vladek of the UT Law School has spoken about this and I believe gave oral arguments before SCOTUS. Keep up the smart reporting of the news. It's a good part of my morning routine, and I'm glad to be a patron of your show. Thank you, David. Yeah, I, I'm su- I surprised I didn't ask Steve that when he was on the show. Um, love Steve Vladek. You, you, you've heard him on the show. He's been on here a few times. But uh, interesting. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. I'm, I am fortunately without pension, so I am free from the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And another interesting point I'd like to bring up, Uniform Code of Military Justice is not... Uh, subject to double jeopardy laws. So if you get in a drunk driving accident, for example, out into town, you can be tried in that city's court system and also in the in Uniform Code of Military Justice and court martial and be punished twice for that. That doesn't apply. Uh, usually ah. doesn't happen that way. Usually what'll happen is the city will just hand the drunk sailor over to the base and say, take, <laughs> you deal with this. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it you can be uh, tried inside and outside. So... Well, What's there uh, you go. Who, who do we have next? Oh, we have pictures. I'm excited. Oh, we've got G in parentheses, Gigi to my pseudo step grandchildren, pronouns she and her. Correction for Dana. You said today that you love uh, AG's listeners. Oh, this is a sweet correction. Mm-hmm. You said today that you love AG's listeners, but sweetie, they're your listeners too. I literally pumped my fist in the air and shouted, yes, when AG announced you'd be a regular. So not to make you cry more. <laughs> Clearly people have been listening, AG, if someone just said not to make you cry more. We have a new segment, Make Dana Cry. Oh my God. Send you guys are doing a fantastic job. Okay, not to make you cry more, but you... Our reason some people listen. I miss Jordan and Mandy, but you're truly made the show even better with your wit and your smarts and your amazing you-ness. We are your listeners too, Dana. Just saying. Pophead Tax. That was super sweet. Sheba, uh, my foe Dutch Shepherd and personal pet protection, PPP specialist. And Mazzy, short for Mazikeen, uh, the tiny beagle 
Uh, she was the runt of the litter, and oh. she has a crooked tail, and we love her because of her demonis, demonis, demonicity. Say it, demonicity. demonicity, demonicity. My good lord! Sometimes it's just for hard for me to get <gasps> the words out. She is tiny. Look how tiny! I love these pictures. I also love that you. Uh, her name is Mazikine. Um I don't know if you watch. Anyway, I mean, we don't need to do that. It, uh, do you watch, um, oh, what is the show? I don't know. I just, I know I had a brain hiccup just now. That's okay. It'll probably come to me later. But anyway, I, I, let's, let's move on. These pod pets are adorable. Well, now I have to know. Let me see here. Now it's also a pot pet. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I had to give you the <laughs> sweet joke, bro. Laugh. Hmm. Mazikeen. I'm looking it up because I have to know now because I haven't seen this show, whatever it is. Well, my, you know, I know my friend plays her. That's why I'm so disappointed in myself for actually um, spacing during this. Neil Gaiman. Um, she was in a DC comic Sandman. Yeah, it's the it's the series based off of. This. I mean, I don't. Oh, know the, if- the 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 the. Uh, gods and demons or something like that no god man why that's all right lucifer Lucifer. yes lucifer thank you well done no i have not Uh, watched that yet but i will but i will friend plays the lead and she's hot all right thank you for helping me get that out of my brain because otherwise i'd have been thinking about it all night oh more puppies More puppies. I love this. Okay, so next up is from Erin. Pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Gals. I work as a social worker at a Philadelphia area hospital. Awesome. That's so awesome, Erin. And in true Philadelphia fashion, we play the Rocky theme song every time a COVID patient discharges. That's so great. (laughs) I love that. It's such a bittersweet moment to hear it over the speakers. One person gets to go home to their family, while so many others will not have the opportunity. It's a daily reminder of how important it is to follow Dr. Fauci's recommendations, even in times when it's hard, like the holidays. I was privileged to get the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine today, which is a glimmer of hope that we will someday be back to normal. But in the meantime, I hope all your listeners continue to stay home, wash their hands and wear a mask. As pod tax, please accept a photo of my bully, Juliet, lovingly nicknamed Bean before it was cool. Look at this pity. Bully, bully, bully. I love pits. Look, what is that? A hot dog? Yeah, it looks like a hot dog. Looks like a pits. It's a a sausage. If I had to, if I had to guess. (laughs) It's a sausage. Oh, this next one is great. You're going to need to read this. You're going to love it. All right. This one's from Tammy Ray. This is in response to at Jeremy S.Y.'s tweets. So that one's an at on the Twitter. Confession about the empty toilet paper rolls. His story reminded me of an empty toilet paper roll obsession I once had. I was living alone for the first time in many years and decided to collect all of my empty toilet paper rolls. Partially uh, an inside joke that even when I live alone... I'm still the one who remembers to buy toilet paper, but also thinking that I use them for some art projects or or craft at some point. I would keep them stacked in a pile in my bathroom. Jeremy's wife would have not been so happy with me. Once a month, I started an art challenge. I would receive an email every day that had some challenge I could easily do. Parentheses like make something that fits in the palm of your hand or go for a five minutes uh, directionless walk and make art with what you find there. And then I was to post it on social media with challenge hashtag. Hashtag. One day the challenge was to take something that you would normally throw away or get rid of and use it in a way that isn't normally used. It was my opportunity to use those empty toilet paper rolls. I thought about what I had made with Amy said Jeremy could make binoculars. Also, Jeremy would be happy to know that he could use them along with some bobby pins to curl hair. (laughs) See attached picture. His wife would be happy to know that after this art was finished, I sent all the rolls to recycle, which was like a whole paper bag full of them. I don't use, I don't, I don't use, I don't have pets. Uh, but I'm hoping you'll accept as tax a picture of some of my roommates, Cinco and Wedgehead. They're constantly up to drunken <laughs> shenanigans, and I woke up to find them like this one morning. Hope you're doing well, and thank you for the daily beans. You are a highlight of my day. Okay, first of all, these paper rolls curling hair is a fantastic <laughs> photo. With the uh, with the binoculars. I know. Oh, and here's the roommates, quote unquote. Yes, Cinco and Wedgehead. Mm, very nice. These are uh, 
ugly dolls, I believe, are what they're called. And uh, we'll send out a picture of that so you can... One has a... Looks like a Sia wig. And then the other one is <laughs> Zorro with uh, with underpants. Yeah. With a mask underpants or a bikini. It could be. Could be anything. Something that Alexei Navalny should avoid in the future. Either way. Next up... From he and him, anonymous, I'm assuming, Dear Beans Queens, it's been a rough year, to say the least, between the shit show of this administration and the cascading impact to our democracy. Really the only thing that's ever trickled down and this pandemic it's, is this pandemic. It's been a trying year. A few family members came down with COVID-19 and one passed away from it. My grandmother passed. I lost a dear friend to despair. And the pandemic has brought things to a head for the marriages of two friends. As the year comes to an end, it's easy to reflect on the horrible things that have happened um, if only to be able to turn the page on what's felt like a, an epic. Uh, it's epoch, E-P-O-C-H, very long period of time. It's also easy to discount and overlook accomplishments, no matter how small they may appear. I think everything should be evaluated to a big win, considering what was done during a pandemic. I went back to school in January, got a puppy. I survived a company spinoff that led to two promotions. None of it was easy. I learned a lot about myself. I learned to set boundaries, never never mind the quarantine. I called the social media friends list. I got tired of spoon-feeding facts to a small subset of Trump supporters I had as friends. The fact they consume their facts by being spoon-fed really says something. <laughs> There's a Venn diagram somewhere <laughs> there. Uh, I learned that if ever another world crisis occurs, my list of trusted folks is a lot smaller than I originally thought. The same people that don't wear masks because they think everyone else does are the same folks in school group projects that let others do all the work. Oh, that's why I don't like group projects. Okay, Venn diagram again? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. It's my middle finger and then my other middle finger coming together <laughs> in the middle of a circle. <laughs> I hate those people. <laughs> anyway, I think as this year comes to a close, we'll look forward to 2021. With a vaccine and, the, and a Biden administration, we won't dismiss and we don't dismiss all the things that we overcame. Included as pet tax are pictures of my dog, River. She's a handful, but I love her. Birthday festive, winter wear, and walking sleeping beauty. Those are the titles of the three. Uh, Dalmatians are so pretty. They are so cute. Look how beautiful this dog is. That's like a model dog. It really is. It's a gorgeous dog. And I really do like the costumes. Waking sleeping beauty. I love it. So sweet. Thank you for those very much. Um, next up, we've got Kanai, pronouns he, him. My girlfriend and I have been together for a little over a decade. I'm so happy to be riding out this pandemic with the love of my life. We went out to pick up some Christmas gifts the other day. I nudged her over the jewelry counter and asked her what kind of ring caught her eye. She pointed to a ridiculously expensive one and let me panic for a bit before letting me know she was joking. Then she tried on one she actually liked and I could afford. And that's how we got engaged. Who says romance is dead? <laughs> we may end up in Amy's court to have something petty resolved, but we've made it through an entire Trump presidency, two waves of COVID, so we feel like we can make it through anything this world throws at us. Note on the picture that Diamond isn't really big. Her fingers are just really dainty. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I? Maybe you can come on Amy's court and explain to us why it took you 10 years. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm kidding. Uh, congratulations. This is wonderful. And you know what else? Dana, the, the guest we had on the show earlier, Renato, he just asked his girlfriend a very long time, been very many years, to, to marry him too. So now... Oh. They're engaged as well. So, Kanai, congratulations. Um, this is wonderful. If you do end up in Amy's court, we'll go very easy on you, I promise. And that ring is gorgeous. So sweet. So, so sweet. I like her. <laughs> She's a very dainty, very dainty <laughs> fingers. Not not a giant diamond. Dainty. Look at his thumb compared to her hand. Her th I didn't want to mention it. Yep. His thumb is the size of her hand, ladies and gentlemen, and people of all ages. It's huge and the, the hand is tiny so i can understand where your concern <laughs> might come from but hey makes the diamond look bigger am i right yeah yep okay anyway thank you all so much for submitting uh, this good news and con and corrections um and if you have any confessions or if you want to submit good news if it's personal or political or if you have any stories you want to tell you just want to get something off your chest send them in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact and that's how you get it done is there uh, anything you want to say on our way out, Dana? Yeah, I would just really like to thank my listeners today. Um, I don't know what <laughs> AG's listeners are doing, but I just really wanted to thank my listeners uh, for tuning in every day to the <laughs> good news. She was like, some of us only listen because of you. I'm like, oh, all right, exit stage left. Oh, she said some more people listen because of me. 
I know, but that's how I read it. Um, so hopefully, oh my God, hopefully I brought a t- person or two. Anyway, that just brought me joy. And I, the thing is, is that I have a tendency, um, you know, this is, this is your baby. And so I was sort of giving credit where credit was due. And I guess sometimes uh, it was, it's a nice reminder to know of my, um, contributions. So thank you for that. And it made me feel wonderful. And I'm just happy to be here. That's it. Thanks to my listeners. And thanks to you, AG. I'm so, I'm so happy that you're here as well. I appreciate you so much, so very much. Um, hugs and love and everyone until tomorrow, please take care of yourself. Oh, tomorrow, by the way. Ooh, ooh, tomorrow. Two full uh, blocks of Kathy Griffin. She's going to tell her story. Oh, wonderful. And her story is, I don't know if you have seen her, if you haven't seen her documentary, trust me, you're going to want to after this. Her story is pretty mind-blowing what she went through because of that damn mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and also the Covington tweet. So she'll be here to talk to us about that and it's going to be amazing. And she's just a, she's a wonderful lady. I absolutely love her. So we will uh, see you then. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. Refried bean. I like. Hi, this is John Cryer and I am hosting a new seven part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.